0: Welcome to the
1: Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. And welcome back. I am your host, Chris Fudge, at the Project Fitness Podcast. The podcast continues with more experts on here, and today that's exactly what we have. Today we're going to be talking about supplementation, a very popular topic in the fitness industry since its involvement in the, the early 20, 30 years ago, and This past summer, I was at a fitness conference and I met this gentleman here, Igor Klavanov. And as a delegate at this fitness conference, I was sitting in with you and Igor explained supplementation to me in such a simple format that I said, this is a topic that I feel that the audience could really learn from. And and that's why Igor is here. So Igor, welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for for, for having me, Chris. I'm looking forward to chatting about this. It's uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about.
1: Not so much like likewise to talk about, but it's a topic that I'm very interested in. And, and being interested in this topic here is because the fitness has modified so much over the years. I won't say it's changed, but I, I'll say it's modified a lot over the years. And when I started, and you and I probably started around the same time, or probably 15, 20 years in, in the early days, it was bodybuilders. They're the only people that really worked with people with exercise, right? And, and doctors and doctors. Doctors and physicians, they were like, take, take a pill, take a pill. We don't know anything else. But now there's so many more different people with different education, different backgrounds and stuff. So just for the audience here, why don't you give them just a, a quick bio rundown of, of who you are, you know, in your background in this industry?
0: Sure. Uh, so my name is Igor. Uh, I'm the author of uh, eight different books on exercise and nutrition, including uh, three bestsellers sellers on uh, diabetes, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, and high blood pressure. Um, as well as a personal trainer who specializes in these conditions, which is why I also uh, run presentations about them.
1: Very good, very good. So uh, writing seven books, this is definitely not your first time talking about this stuff. So uh, another reason why I wanted to have you on here. So talking talking with supplements, I can tell you a quick little story. The first time I ever took supplements, I was 14 years old and I was reading Muscle and Fiction magazine and Christmas was coming up. And I said to my dad, I said, dad, I want to get this, this, this supplement that's called protein powder. And he said, what does it do? And I said, well, it makes you, it makes you have big muscles. And my dad, that's all he needed to know. He's like, ah, it's what he wants for Christmas. You get so many presents a year. This is what it's going to be. So I had GNC. It was like a mega gainer or something. And it was wrapped up under the Christmas tree. When I came down, I was like, Oh, there it is. There's the protein. And on the back, it said, you know, take two to four scoops a day. Of, of this it was like 25 grams of protein per scoop this mega mass gainer I'm 14 years old probably 111 pounds and i said you know what i just don't have enough time to do that i gotta play video games and play with my friends like i'm not gonna do that so i'll just put all eight scoops in a blender and just drink it at once because this wow. is gonna work the same that's what it said on the thing if you just take this it'll give you muscle so i blend it up with milk and then I drank it. It took me about a half hour to, to drink it, and I fell into a small coma. <laughs> like I <laughs> felt, into- I got super nauseous. It went right through my system. And at that point in time, I said, "Supplements don't work." So my first question to you is about supplements, and do they work? Uh, the
0: the The answer is it depends which one. Um, there are a lot of supplements out there that are uh, well garbage to be to be to be to be quite honest but there are also quite a few of them that are very good what i do in all of my books is um, in a supplement chapter i'll always go through three sections supplements that work for that condition supplements that are proven to not work and supplements that are unproven in other words they're often included in formulas for these conditions but we don't really know if they work or not so yeah there's there's a lot that work but the ones that are unproven or don't work or disproven are larger than the ones that are proven
1: Now, where would you find supplements that are are more known to to work versus supplements that are known not to work?
0: You know, what you're asking is what you're asking, where would you buy them or what would you find the information, whether they work or don't work? Where would you buy them?
1: I mean, I think the average person is going to go to, you know, Supplement King. They're going to go to GNC. They might. And now you see supplements in grocery stores. Then you also see them from natural paths and you see them in natural food stores. So are they all created? equal? I guess.
0: No, uh, definitely not. Not all supplements are created equal. Uh, there's not a, there's not a single place where you can go and you you'll know like every supplement in here works for what it what it says it's gonna do. There's not a single place like that. However, you have a better bet of finding supplements that work if you go to health food stores as opposed to bodybuilding stores per se. Uh, so places like Healthy Planet, Organic Planet. Um, in the greater Toronto area, there's places called the Big Carrot or Nature's Emporium, uh, Noah's, uh, Nutrition House. Those are probably places will, that are likely to have more solvents that work than those that don't, although it's, it's still not a sure thing. Whereas at you most bodybuilding stores, the ones that will work for sure are mass gainers and whey protein and creatine. The others, hit or miss.
1: Okay, so so what, why do you think that those ones are going to work for sure? Is that's probably just more of the popular ones people want, like 14-year-old Chris wanted too?
0: Yeah, um, part of it is that, but part of it is also just a wide application of protein. Um, it's good. Most people think of protein as just about muscle, and that is absolutely true. It will help you do that if you're deficient in it. But uh, as I talk about in my, in my osteoporosis book, it's also very good for women with osteoporosis. It's very good for bone mass. Um, it's good, very good for appetite suppression. So it's it has some effects in weight loss. Um, it, uh, it keeps you fuller longer, so it's good for diabetes. So because of that, it has many applications outside of just muscle gain.
1: So I've always been curious about this. Personally, I've had this question come up quite frequently with people. If if protein powder is is good, is it good enough to be the source of protein for a person's diet? If someone ate no animal products, and they weren't getting any protein from combinations of of vegetables and plants, and they just ate powdered protein, would that be enough? Is it as good as as the other source of protein, animal and plants?
0: That, that's an awesome question. I wish there was an actual like, long-term study done on that. Um, as far as I know, there isn't, so I'll just give you my opinion. I don't think it's as good, but I think that what, what we do know is that the body doesn't care about protein, it cares about amino acids. Um, it just so happens to be that whey is a really, really good source of amino acids. It's but for, for muscle gain, it's the gold standard. Uh, there are other uh, protein powders, there's pea protein, there's rice protein, there's casein, and so on, um, although whey is still the gold standard um, will make you build muscle, um, as well as eating, let's say meat or, or, or protein from other sources. Um, hard to say, um, because meat has more than just protein. It also has, you know, zinc, it also has vitamins B6 and B12 and iron. Do you need those micronutrients to help you process and and integrate the macronutrients, the protein? Maybe, uh, conceptually, we know that some B vitamins help you with the processing of, of, protein, especially B6 and B12. Um, so what happens when you get pure protein without B6 and B12? The answer is basically we just don't know yet. Um, so theoretically, maybe it'll help you be be as good as if you just ate meat or fish or seafood or other sources of protein. But realistically, um, the the answer is probably we don't know.
1: So does protein powder come from an animal? Like at one point was it an animal and then it somehow got turned into powder?
0: It uh, depends which kind of protein powder we're talking about. If we're talking about whey protein and casein, uh, they're just byproducts of milk. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, up until about the 60s, whey was just seen as a waste product. Uh, they would literally just throw it out of the milk when they process it to make it into cheese. Um, then they realized, hey, you can actually build some muscle with this. We can sell this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a pretty good product too. So yeah, after that, they started to actually use whey protein in uh, in muscle gain, in, uh, in fillers and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it comes from milk, uh, that's, well, sorry, whey and casein come from milk, obviously pea and rice protein don't come from milk or animals.
1: Mm-hmm. And then other protein powders that come from animals, if it says on it, you know, like uh, uh, beef protein, is it's like, do we know if it comes from cattle? Yeah, it
0: that it one actually comes from cattle. Um, usually it, it'll be just literally like eating um, like a top sirloin or bottom syrup or wine. Again, uh, without necessarily the micronutrients to go along with it. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the price of beef these days, that sounds like a good idea to be getting it in powdered form if you
0: can. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly cheaper to do to get the, the protein from uh, uh, from from protein powders than it is from, from meat. Although, in my opinion, uh, meat tastes great.
1: <laughs> yeah, agreed. Now, now, what about the processing of powders? I've had clients before ask me and say, yeah, because I would have a conversation about nutrition, I would say, let's eat more whole foods, you know, less processed foods. And then I might suggest, you know, increasing protein. And here's a good example. You could use protein powder. And they'd say, well, isn't that processed food?
0: Yeah, yeah, I I get that one all the time. Um, There is a big distinction between natural and healthy. People equate natural and healthy. Natural equals healthy. But that's not the case. Most natural things will kill you. For instance, the poisonous mushrooms are all natural, but they'll kill you. Poisonous uh, berries are all natural, but they're still going to kill you. Then there's other things that are synthetic, but are actually very good for you. For instance, uh, folic acid is synthetic. Natural folic acid is called folate, but folic acid is a synthetic version of that. And it's very good for women who are pregnant to prevent uh, neural tube defects or birth defects. just because it's synthetic doesn't mean it's it's bad. Doesn't, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good. Um, and if you go into, into a random forest and you eat most things that are natural, most natural things will kill you. Uh, so just because it's natural doesn't mean it's healthy.
1: Well, that's good to know.
0: So let's break that association.
1: We got a bush in my backyard and those berries look delicious, but now... <laughs> Don't eat them. <laughs> Uh, Just because we're talking about protein, it's it's such a powerful um, supplement or just a macronutrient in health anyway. For clients who are listening and they say, you know what, I've tried this whey protein before. I've tried this casein protein before and my stomach just didn't digest it well. Is that dairy related? Is that dosage dependent? Could that even be brand that you purchased?
0: Yeah, yeah. um, All of the above. Um, some people, like there's a lot of people who have lactose intolerance and, um, so they think it's the lactose because of that, but lactose, anything, anything else is a sugar. Usually most whey and casein don't contain, don't contain sugar because they're whey protein uh, or they're casein protein. Uh, so it's usually not the lactose that's causing that. Although some lower quality brands, they will contain lactose, small amounts of lactose along with, with that. Um. So it could be that the person is not sensitive. It, it may be sensitive, sensitive to lactose, but they're also sensitive to whey and casein. By the way, casein is a way more common sensitivity than lactose, actually. Um, so so it, it could actually be just that. But if somebody is lactose intolerant and they don't know for a fact that it's the lactose in the whey or the casein protein, two options, either get a higher quality whey or casein protein that doesn't that, that literally says no lactose or lactose-free. Or two, even people who are lactose intolerant can have um, can have dairy if A, the dairy is fermented, uh, like if you're a yogurt, um, B, if they have lactase enzymes along with it, or C if they get lactose free uh, products, milk, cheese, frozen powders. Well,
1: that's really good to know. So there's a lot of variety out there if someone can't digest the standard.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and of course, yeah, they, they they could just get free form amino acids. They could get uh pea or rice protein, which are 100 uh, percent lactose free. So there's many, many options.
1: So do do do, do pea and pro pea and rice protein. So funny thing, uh, this is kind of funny. So, protein powder. Um, obviously, uh, in fitness, I I consume protein powders. I got two little boys. I got a six year old and an eight year old. <clears throat> and uh, a couple of years ago, and we give them uh, this brand, the brand's Warrior, and it's rice and pea protein. And it's what, it's what I take. But I also got some some, some GNC stuff in the back. And uh, one day, uh, my wife's going through the cupboard. And she says, hey, we're out of the Warrior brand. And I said, there's something else back there. Get it. So she gets it and gives it to the kids for like a morning smoothie and stuff. And then she takes them she takes them uh, out somewhere. And she says she'd drive about 10 minutes. And both boys, like almost simultaneously, were like, we got to go to the bathroom right now.
0: And
1: it was just so interesting because uh, literally the tubs were probably... One's twice the price as the other, you know. <laughs> That's one of oh. the first thing I noticed. I said, I gave them the cheap stuff. And their little tummies just it went right through them, right through them. Contrast oh. to wheat um pea and rice protein, they were able to digest that no problem. So we've never given them any other protein powders since.
0: Right. Yeah. Some uh some protein powders uh, like pea and rice are very, very good. I'll often recommend those to people who are from an immune perspective are very compromised uh they have very very sensitive immune system because and pea and rice protein are hypoallergenic uh but but yeah cheap stuff can actually uh cause some digestive issues in some people i'm not gonna say in every person but in in a few people yeah
1: so you're saying that the rice and pea protein is better for someone who has you know like a background in allergies is that what you're saying
0: yeah. So if somebody has something like a very, very sensitive immune system, like a lot of things like trigger them, um, their skin, their 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 nasal cavities, their joints, and et cetera. Um, I would offer pure rice protein. If they are a little bit inferior in terms of muscle building. Um, a little bit inferior, not a lot inferior, a little bit inferior in terms of muscle building. Um, but everything has a like uh, benefits and drawbacks. The benefits of uh rice and pea protein is their hy- hypoallergenic. The drawback's a little bit less effective than whey protein. Um, Whey protein, it's the gold standard. It's the most effective, maybe neck and neck with with casein. Um, But it is more more people are are allergic or sensitive to whey and casein than they are to rice and pea protein. So there's a time and a place for both.
1: So when you say inferior, what makes pea and rice protein inferior compared to uh, whey and casein?
0: The amino acid profile. Um, inferior from a perspective of muscle building um, and bone building, et cetera. And so most uh, plant-based protein powders are, um, they're, they're missing lysine and methionine or they, they don't have enough of lysine and methionine. Uh, now, of course, they're not the branched-chain amino acids, which are the ones that are most responsible for muscle building, but... Lysine and methionine still play a role in muscle building, uh, so because of that, uh, they have an inferior profile. In addition to that, they also have the um, a, not a deficiency; they just have way, way, way lower amounts of leucine, which is the biggest I amino mean, acid in terms of muscle building. Um, and some supplement brands will acknowledge the inferior uh, the inferiority of uh, of like plant based protein powders for muscle building. So, uh, if I can mention brand names, I don't know if I can.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So Vega, for instance, as far as I know, they are the best um, plant-based uh, uh, plant-based protein powder because they acknowledge the inferiority of plant-based protein powders and add free-form leucine to mm. give it more for the amino acid profile of uh, of liquid protein.
1: Oh, very interesting. You hear that, Vega? If you're looking to sponsor a podcast, um, we like your stuff.
0: There's an endorsement. Okay, By that- the way, I should probably say I don't make any money from promoting Vega. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. Yeah, so, th- so that that that's an interesting fact because that conversation has come up in my circle many times, and the fact that they're they're adding that piece in now makes it you know on par with other ones. So that's what I'm hearing, correct? Exactly.
0: Okay.
1: Awesome. Uh, with supplements, obviously, you you mentioned before that they 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 originated. You know, uh, when do you say that the supplements kind of started around? You said uh, when they were just using for like weight.
0: Weight. Uh, so weight protein originated in around, around the 60s, but like vitamins and minerals, probably around the 30s.
1: Oh, really? And, oh, and yeah. that was used to treat conditions, like from a medical standpoint, or just to say, hey, here's another way to bump your health?
0: Yeah. So it's not just like eat oranges because they have vitamin C. It's actually take a pill and that contains vitamin C.
1: Mm. He said that was around as early as the 30s. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. You know, uh, I- of
0: course, it wasn't as robust as it is today, uh, but like very, very basic, uh, just the basic stuff like vitamin C, vitamin uh, vitamin E, and so on. Those were around in the 1930s.
1: Uh, I, I did not know that. I, I had no idea that the, they've been around. So we're pushing 100 years where supplements have been uh, around. And I've yeah. heard crazy claims over the years. I'm sure you have as well. Um, you know, some claims such as you know, well, vitamin C, there's the one, it's the magic one that cures everything. I heard it even cured COVID at one time. Um, <laughs> but, but but I'm sure you've heard some, some myths yourself. What are some of the myths that you think the average person might not be aware of or they've heard um, when it comes to supplementation?
0: Um, I'll give you two myths as, uh, as, a, uh, as as a group on all supplements. And if you want, we can talk about myths about specific supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, the two biggest myths I see is one, that they don't work. Um, and two is that you first need to uh-huh. make dietary changes for supplements to work. Both are myths. Um, to say that supplements don't work would be completely ignoring the mountains of research showing that they do work. Now, I'm not saying every supplement works because, as far as I, as, as far as I know, from my research, about two thirds to three quarters, so sixty-five to seventy-five percent or so, don't work, or either either don't work or or we don't know if they work, but they're still sold anyways. Um, but to ignore the one third that actually works uh, would be like seeing a mountain of research and looking the other way, and that research is conclusive. It's not just like one study in a small small sample size it is dozens of studies in some cases thousands like uh, the, be- the two best studied supplements are caffeine and creatine mm-hmm. um and there is a mountain of research behind their effectiveness for different things and of course the mountain of research behind their ineffectiveness for other things um, so that's what the the first big myth that they don't work the second big big myth is that you have to make dietary changes um, also not true um, the rhetoric goes like this the word supplement means to add to an already good diet. Um, So it's not a replacement, it's a supplement. That's the rhetoric. Um, But that's not 100% true. Because when researchers do studies on supplements, they tell the participants, the subjects of the studies, just take the supplement. Don't make dietary changes. Don't start exercising. Don't change your routine or anything. Just take this supplement. Why do they do that? Because in studies, they want to isolate variables. They want to know that if there's a change in whatever marker you're measuring, marker of health, marker of performance, it can only be attributed to that one thing. And supplements often stand on their own without any changes in exercise or nutrition uh, or, or medications or surgeries, etc. Now, do they work better with, uh, with dietary changes? Sure. But even by themselves, sometimes they have very, very powerful effects. Uh, for instance, in my diabetes book, I talk about one supplement called uh, Milk Thistle. Often yeah. used for liver, but it's one of the strongest ones for um, for for uh, for for bladder for for the pancreas. Um, type two collagen. Um, it's often used for hair, skin, and nails, but it's very very good for strong bones. Uh, and again, to ignore that mountain of research uh, would just be a disservice to clients, to yourself, and to and basically, to, it's almost like a religion saying there is evidence to the contrary, and yet you still stick by your beliefs.
1: There's, there's two camps. I mean, you walk into a gym and you you talk to two separate people. One person is going to come in and they're going to have the supplement bag that they got because they spent over 300 bucks. And they've got one of everything that was on the shelf. It's now in that bag. Then you're going to have someone completely beside them. And they say, I don't take supplements because I eat well. I don't need them.
0: Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And so, yeah, so to the camp that doesn't take supplements because they say I eat well, what's eating well mean? I mean, there's a million different diets. Um, So I would say, and and, and I'm not going to say 100% of people need supplements, um, because not everyone needs supplements. There are certain indications and contraindications. Um, So I'm not going to say that they need supplements. But at the end of the spectrum, to the person who's carrying a bag full of supplements, and by the way, my record for clients, uh, with taking the most supplements before I started working was like 47 oh. per day. Yeah, and some supplements are taken two or three times a day. So you can imagine they're just popping pills for fifteen minutes until they actually eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and to those, to those folks who are taking bags of supplements, I'll say chances are you probably don't need somewhere between 65 and 100% of what you're taking.
1: Mm-hmm. So how, do, how does someone know that? How would someone know if they need a supplement or if they don't need a supplement?
0: Yeah, so we, we always have indications and contraindications. What are some indications for supplements? Well, first of all, how do you know if you need a supplement? Well, you have to ask yourself, is there any reason I would be deficient in it? And there are certain um conditions that need to be met for, for deficiency to be present. For instance, um, as I mentioned in my supplement presentation at the at the Pro conference, uh the, the a deficiency of B vitamins is likely if uh, somebody is on the birth control pill. If they are um, abusing alcohol, if they are uh, exercising super super heavily, like two or three times a day, five or six days a week, um, then B vitamins are helpful. Um, and there is a few other other reasons. Um, Coenzyme Q ten is likely beneficial if somebody's taking statins, if somebody has high blood pressure, um, if somebody has uh, has had heart failure, or, or and so on. Coenzyme Q ten is not beneficial if they don't meet those criteria. Um, so that's one way, just b- based on the conditions. Another way to figure out if you need them or not is uh, be, what I like to see is the subjective symptoms and the objective blood work or some kind of marker performance. Um, on the subjective side of things, I will have my clients fill out a questionnaire of 321 different symptoms, um, and they're grouped into 16 different sections based on body system from the upper gastrointestinal to the liver and gallbladder to the immune system, cardiovascular system, and so on. Um, that will give me a pretty good idea of do they need supplements or not. Um and the in the objective which which I divide into either health or performance. So standard blood chemistry and stuff is a little bit beyond standard. Um I'll give my clients a list of 49 different tests to ask their doctor to run. And that will give me an idea of yeah, yeah. yeah, it's thorough. Um and that'll give me an idea of what's what could they be deficient in that a supplement um could benefit their health or performance, which is what are we trying to improve? Endurance, strength, power, or something else. Um and so, w- with every supplement, we're, when when it talks about studies, we're just looking at averages. On average, do people benefit from this? But to make up an average, you have to people who have people who are really, really responsive to the supplement, and then you have people who actually have a detriment from that supplement. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we can base it on averages, but we also want to run a study of n equals one. In other words, you measure something subjective, objective. And with the object of performance or health, um, take that supplement for the appropriate duration. And if you want, you can talk later about what's an appropriate duration. And then measure again after that time has passed and see, has it actually had an effect on you? And that is the goal standard in my mind of how to figure out if you need supplements or not.
1: So, so what I'm hearing is test and retest. Test and retest, right?
0: Basically, yes. This way, if, if more people just tested and retested, there would be way less confusion about which supplements work and which ones don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're saying uh, you have your series of questions, and then you have 49 tests that you want people to get. Uh, this is blood work, so I imagine they go to their their physician and say, hey, here's here's the list. Now, are, are, are doctors down with that? Are they going to say, yeah, let's do this? Are they going to say, yeah, you can do that, but you got to pay a few bucks?
0: No, uh, doctors are definitely not down for it, even if you pay for a few bucks. Um, of the 49 tests, only three of the ones that I request are not covered by OHIP. Um, Really? And that's homocysteine, bioavailable testosterone, and vitamin D. Those three are not covered. Um, all the other tests are you know, but vitamin D used to be covered, I think about 10, 12 years ago. Then they're like everyone's deficient in it, let's just start start charging for it. Um that's
1: so mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you're right, everyone is probably deficient in it, so let's charge them for <laughs> it anyway. Oh man.
0: Yeah, it's not an expensive test, though. It's only 40 or 50 bucks. Um, but but worthwhile in some conditions. Um and I have a whole other thing to say about vitamin D, but if you want to go into that or we can just stay on, on track. I would,
1: I would love to go a little bit into vitamin D and, and I'll kind of explain why. <clears throat> Everybody I know is deficient in vitamin D. Everyone, they tell me that oh, I, I got no vitamin D, vitamin D. They all live in Ontario. I don't know. You get a little more sun than I do. You're just down the road from me. But still, you still get more sun than, than Ottawa, it seems like. What is going on with vitamin D?
0: Uh, well, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, there's a lot to vitamin D. Well, first of all, um, it, the, the most obvious reason why we're deficient is we live north of Los Angeles, just our latitude. Um, so that's part of the reason. But there's also a bigger issue with vitamin D mega supplementation, taking mega doses and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, And so what they're discovering now is that vitamin D is what they call an acute phase reactant. In other words, if there's other things going wrong in your body, vitamin D levels will be low. So case in point, I was reading one study where people who are low in magnesium were also low in vitamin D. When the magnesium deficiency was corrected, vitamin D rose without any vitamin D supplementation. In another study, they did very, very similar. Um, People who are low in magnesium and vitamin D, one group supplemented magnesium, the other group supplemented vitamin D. At the end of the study, which I believe was three months, the group that supplemented with magnesium actually had higher vitamin D levels than the group that supplemented with vitamin D. So and that's just an example. Um, so could vitamin D be an acute phase reactant? Um, in another group, in another uh, study, people who had inflammation, uh, one group was treated with anti-inflammatories, one group was, was treated with vitamin D. The group that was treated with, with anti-inflammatories uh, actually had higher vitamin D levels at the end um, compared to the vitamin D group even though both were vitamin D deficient and approximately the same level at the beginning of the study. Um, so vitamin D is not necessarily a marker to try and really, really get it up directly, necessarily. Um, now, if, let's say, there's nothing wrong with you, your, your magnesium is fine, your daughter's flame, etc., and your vitamin D levels are low, then it makes sense to supplement with vitamin D. Otherwise, it might make sense to figure out why is vitamin D low. Not mm-hmm. just I the of Los Angeles, but maybe there's a deeper reason. Um besides so that if that's the only reason, then you can just take vitamin D cells and you'll be fine. Um and furthermore,
1: is there um, sorry, is there a difference in um, capsule form, pill form versus liquid form for, for like vitamin D?
0: Yeah. Um there is a difference in bioavailability. And this applies to all supplements. Uh, the most from from most bioavailable to least bioavailable. The most bioavailable is an injection.
1: No, sir, I know if I've, you know a listeners probably thinking bioavailable. How would you um, simplify that term? What does that mean?
0: It's very simple. Absorption. In other words, what percent of what you are taking is being absorbed? Got it. Yeah. So uh, from most absorbable to least absorbable, injection number one. Uh, Because you literally put it inside the veins. Now you can't do that on yourself. So next step (laughs) below that is cream on the skin Uh, That uh, doctors will often use bioidentical progesterone or estrogen as a cream on on the skin Um, Below that so so or something like topical magnesium.
1: Does it matter where you put it on the body? Or is there a certain area? Uh, which
0: are warm? Uh, different places, different uh, you know, different uh, different effects. For example, with progesterone, they recommend you put it on your forearm because it's very there are lots lots of veins there. With magnesium, they say put it behind your knees because lots lots of veins there. Especially uh, this one is is for cramps of the calf, um, like Charlie horses.
1: Magnesium behind the knees.
0: Oh. Yeah, magnesium um, behind the knees. Yeah, so you just want places with a rich blood supply. Of forearms tend to be a great place to put it because lots of lots of veins in the forms. Um, so most bioavailable uh, or absorbable is injection. Below that, creams. Below that, it drops under the tongue. Below that, uh, liquids like shakes, uh, protein shakes, uh, essentially amino acid shakes. Below that, powders. Below that, liquid gels. Below that, uh, capsules. Below that, tablets. Uh, that's for most bioavailable to least bioavailable.
1: But w- then why is mostly caps and uh, pills, or are they like the most uh, sold product? Like, I mean, all the other stuff there, I haven't heard of half the stuff you mentioned before.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a number of reasons, but one big reason is just price. Um, if it's more bioavailable, it's also more expensive. Uh, but in my mind, you you pay more, but you also absorb more, so it's worth it. Um, other so times people who,
1: Could yeah. you try to cheat that and say, listen, if I need X amount of vitamin D... The liquid, the bottle of liquid is 80 bucks, but pills are 20 bucks. If I buy the pills and I just take five instead of one, would the body be like, yeah, this works? Potentially.
0: The thing is, with a lot of things, you don't want to overdose. um And if they're, so if a company knows, for example, that vitamin D in X, whatever form is 50% bioavailable and this form is 5% bioavailable, they'll just lower the dose in the liquid form. Um, Cause they, 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 account for the bioavailability of different, uh, of different supplements. Uh, so that, that's already taken into account, but there's also a big problem with mega dosing vitamin D. Mm-hmm. If you're very deficient to bring yourself up to sufficient, that's okay. But if you're sufficient and you go excessive, that is not okay. Um, and there are real risks to excessive vitamin D. Uh, one of the risks is kidney stones because of the overabsorption absorption of calcium. Another one is soft tissue calcification again, because of the over of calcium and what is soft tissue calcification is when your arteries get hard. You don't want hard arteries. You want hard bones. Hard arteries can cause uh heart attacks, strokes, stuff like that. Um, it's all because you took a mega dose of vitamin D. And so at what <laughs> level
1: a megadose over time or one mega dose?
0: Uh depending on how the size of the mega dose. But how dangerous is anything depends on a duration of mega dose and two size of megadose. So if you just took one big one, that can do it by itself. Uh, oh. but it has to be very, very big. Mm. Um you might
1: end up with poisoning the hospital. How, how can you test for that? Like a, a coronary calcium scan? Is that the only way?
0: Yeah, there's a CAC, uh, coronary uh, um, coronary uh, artery, sorry, calcium artery, coronary artery calcium, coronary arterial calcium. There you go, your CAT score.
1: Okay. Man, I, did, I didn't know that. I didn't know that in high amounts because yeah, we always hear more vitamin D the best. Have 25 eggs a week and then take caps yeah. with- Take liquid and go well,
0: sunshine. Yeah. The body's kind of like Goldilocks. It doesn't like too low of anything. It doesn't like too, too high of anything. It likes just right. That's why there's an actual reference range on blood chemistry. It doesn't say the more the better. The reference range says between here and here is good. Below here, there's risks. Above here, there's risks. In the middle is good. You'll be, you'll be healthy. Are these the RDAs that we're talking about? No, uh, not, not RDAs. This is the uh, the reference range on blood chemistry.
1: Okay, yes. And I think I brought this question up uh, to you at your, at your thing. Now, that when you get blood work and you get these um, uh, uh, the, the reference ranges, are they of healthy people or average people?
0: Yeah, they are average people. And who is it that goes to get their blood work? Yes, it's the health, partially. And a small percentage of it is just a nice, health-conscious individual who wants to get their animal physical. That's a small percentage of people. By and large, people who will get their blood work are sick. They're sick people. They either have cancer, or diabetes, or the cold, or the flu, or COVID, or something, or, you know, hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some kind of illness that they didn't feel well. They went to their doctor, the doctor says, go get blood work. Um, and so most blood chemistry markers are based on statistics, not physiology. And because it's based on statistics, labs just take the average of the last X number of people who took that test, um, and say this is the reference range. Um, now that doesn't mean there. This is a reference the reference range of healthy people. Healthy people have a tighter reference range, um, and so yeah, you, these these are reference ranges based on a mostly a sick population, but uh, but also the problem is that they are way too wide. Hmm. it's like say a normal bench press is somewhere between 50 pounds and 800 pounds
1: <laughs> that, that's a that's a good stat you're not wrong it's going to be between there
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
1: if somebody if somebody wants to know what is optimal or what is considered healthy ranges where could they find that information
0: a uh, couple of resources one you can go directly to the research and look for that now if you go on google scholar you go on pubmed and type in optimal reference range or healthy reference range you won't find it um, the way you look for it is by typing in whatever marker you're looking for. Like, for example, let, let's use like iron or ferritin. Um, and then you type in ferritin, all cause mortality. And that's a much better way to find what's a healthy reference range. Because you want a reference range, for, you want a study done on healthy people who are not anemic, okay? And do not have hypothalassemia or Um So good research on an optimal reference range divides people into categories, um, anywhere from three to many more categories. And it might say people who are, I'm going to make, make up some kind of number, and this is not to do with ferritin. Let's say the reference range is 50 to 100. So they will take people between 50 and 65, 65 to 80, um, 80 to 95, 95 to 110. So they're all within the reference range and a little bit above. And then you see who, all you know, in which group in this in this across the spectrum, lives the longest, has the fewest heart attacks, has the fewest strokes, has the, has the least cancer, has the least diabetes. And that's how you know the right reference range, the, the optimal reference range. Um, there, As far as I know, there is no agreement on what's healthy because the research is still being done. Um, one individual that I know uh, follows the research and his entire mission in his clinical practice is to just figure out what's the healthiest reference range for like every marker as much as possible is a guy named Dr. Brian Walsh. Uh, B. R. Y. A. N. Walsh. He is a naturopathic doctor out of Maryland. He criticizes a lot of what the alternative medicine community does, but also a lot of what the uh, traditional medicine community does. He is—he has no camps. He's just like, here's what the science says. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's essentially how you would find an optimal reference range.
1: But there's also going to be changes based on gender, ethnicity,
0: age. Yep. Yeah. I just watched one of uh, Brian Walsh's videos about uh, serum cortisol not to be confused with salivary cortisol. And yeah, so it's stratified based on age, um, or 40, uh, between 40 and 60, over 60, and and furthermore, um, a male and female.
1: For, for an intelligent person like you, it sounds like you can figure this stuff out. So you're going to get up every morning, you're going to be like, hey, I need blah, 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 blah. An average person, someone listening to this right now, um, should they take supplements? And if they should, is there a list that you think would be more beneficial for an average person to take?
0: Um, Should the average person take supplements? The average person probably should. Now, which ones is a much harder question to answer because, well, I, I hate this answer, but it depends. Mm-hmm. um it has a lot of different factors um who is the average person does the average person have diabetes does the average person have insomnia like what's going on right let
1: me paint you the picture of the average person this is going to be the sure. average gym goer the average gym goer is between the ages of 40 and 50 male or female and they probably got about 20 to 30 pounds of body fat that they didn't have in their 20s and they're they're starting a, a, a exercise routine three times a week and they just got low energy and they eat a, they drink a lot of coffee
0: mm-hmm Uh, and
1: they
0: they work for the government (laughs) for that um do they do they have any conditions
1: we'll say no we'll say they're just they've got some extra body weight and they got low energy and and such
0: for a person who's otherwise just low energy and and asymptomatic um, otherwise maybe the only thing i would recommend is probably a multivitamin uh that's assuming that they're already eating adequate amounts of protein if not then protein powder as well uh, but beyond those two not a heck of a lot else
1: okay so what about um uh, a female a little older maybe she's premenopausal. okay because you hear that all the time they say oh, i just i got these hot flashes i'm gaining weight like crazy um uh, my joints hurt like would there be supplements that they might benefit from
0: Yeah, Um, we can't classify all menopausal women into one category. It used to be thought that menopause equals low estrogen. And by and large, that is true. However, how low is low? Because some menopausal women have the optimal um, estrogen levels for their age. Others, um, other 55-year-old women have estrogen levels that are below what should be for their age. Um, And so there are actually 12 different profiles, hormonal profiles for menopause, based on the interactions of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. So, a woman with high estrogen, you don't want to give her more estrogenic compounds. A woman with normal estrogen, you don't want to give her estrogenic compounds. A woman with low estrogen, yes, you want to give her estrogenic compounds. Um, one of the best ones is called soy isoflavones. Um, that works really, really well for reducing menopausal hot flashes, fairly safe. Um, and so on. Now, a woman with high testosterone, which happens more frequently than you know, the fitness industry tends to admit because PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome is a common condition among most females. Um, for her, you would not give testosterone boosters, but for a woman with low estrogen, you would give testosterone boosters, like zinc, for instance. Um, so we can't just say all menopause women should take this one supplement. We have to you know, stratify further, what kind of menopause woman is she?
1: Mm. Okay. So what about uh, gentlemen? We'll say men, probably around the same age category. And this is a conversation I've been hearing a lot in the gym these days. Everyone keeps saying I have low testosterone, I have low testosterone. Is there supplementation that can assist with that or lifestyle that could assist with that?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, Before before I answer that question, I'm going to say, how do you know you have low testosterone? Um, is it just symptoms, or have you been tested? Um, if it's just symptoms, get tested because there's a lot of symptoms that look like low testosterone that are not low testosterone. For example, if you are, if you the symptom you think is low testosterone is just fatigue, there are a million different reasons for for, for fatigue, um, and any one symptom by itself doesn't mean a heck of a lot. A cluster of symptoms that point in the same direction that starts to mean something. Um, but first of all, get tested for testosterone levels. If they are indeed low, in order from most effective to least effective. Most effective is sleep and stress management. Um, below that is, is what I call the boring basics.
1: How do you take sleep? Is that in pill or liquid form? How do people take sleep? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. You just inject it. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the boring basics like sleep is, sleep slash stress management is going to have the biggest impact on on testosterone levels at any age. Um, below that, exercise. Below that, nutrition. Uh, below that supplements um, so as long as the, the boring basics are taken care of supplements won't want to prove it a heck of a lot maybe a little bit but not a heck of a lot but again as we mentioned earlier you don't have to eat healthy Um, to benefit from supplements you should be trying to eat healthy but uh, compliance is a real real issue if you've been eating a certain way 40 50 60 years um, it's going to be tough, tough changing your diet you, sh- you should absolutely try and you should absolutely make take steps and learn from from, from failures from regressions etc but taking a pill is has near 100 percent compliance um so in addition to making dietary changes it's also good to take supplements and what which supplements have been proven to raise testosterone uh, none of them <laughs> um here's the interesting thing the most gold standard the, the most the, the biggest gold standard for testosterone improvement is boring old zinc Uh, There's a bunch of others that are claimed to improve testosterone, like tribulus terrestris, or MACA, or even DIM, diandolomethane, CDG, and so on. None of them are proven. Even zinc is only proven when you're deficient in it. No deficiency, no benefit, and sometimes harm. Um, But zinc is the only one proven to raise testosterone in zinc-deficient males. And you can test for that, you can test for zinc deficiency. All the others, tribulus, is actually not unproven, but disproven. We know that tribulus does not raise testosterone. Uh, tribulus raises libido without raising testosterone. Malca mm. raises libido without raising testosterone. As for DIM, methane, um, CDG, uh, calcium deglucarate, et cetera. Not, they're not disproven, but they are unproven. So we just don't know. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to give my two cents. Probably unlikely, but, uh, but the research hasn't been done yet.
1: Okay. Interesting. I'll throw one more, one more person at you. Okay. This okay. is the university athlete. The university yeah. athlete, they could be CIS or Division One, whatever. So they probably are in school. They're probably uh, doing four or five practices a week, probably one or two games a week. Could they benefit? Or, and if so, what supplements do you think they might want to be taking?
0: Uh, let, let me ask a more clarifying question. Are they an endurance athlete, mixed athlete, or power athlete?
1: Let's go with an endurance. They're on the the, the cross-country team or the swim team. They They do a lot more endurance work.
0: Um, if they are the college athletes, the university athletes, um, multivitamin, cause they're losing a lot of minerals in their sweat, um, and their dietary requirements are, are just higher. Um, also in, in all likelihood, they probably would benefit from protein if they are doing a lot of endurance work cause they're breaking down muscle tissue. Um, and if they will want to boost their endurance, there are actually a few compounds or supplements proven to boost endurance. Uh, one is beet- beetroot powder or beetroot juice. Uh, two is greens, greens powders, like uh, powdered vegetables. Um, and three is D-Ribose. These are three supplements really, really well-researched uh, and proven to improve uh, performance in, in in endurance.
1: Okay, very interesting. Okay, so as we get to the end here, I got one last question. I need to know, what supplements do you take? Are you popping 47 a day, or are you like, <laughs> don't take so many? Um-
0: I'm closer to the bottom end. Um, there's no supplement that I would say I take daily. Um, I take uh, whey protein three to five times a week. Um, I take type 1 collagen just right now because I have tennis level and that's a temporary thing. Um, and uh, I have my, my vitamin D levels tested all the time. So my vitamin D levels are normal without supplementation. Um, I guess I'm just a lucky Ontarian. Um, <laughs> um, and those are basically the only...
1: Yeah, it was funny. I mean, I get my I get my lab work done too, and my natural path even said to me, "She goes, oh, surprise!" And I was like, "What?" She goes, "Your vitamin D is is good. You don't need supplementation." And I said, yeah. well, "What is that?" And she's like, "Well, she's like everyone needs it." Cause that she usually deals with and stuff. And then yeah. and then I said, "Well, I've been eating about uh, thirty eggs a week for about twenty years." <laughs> I said, yeah. "I don't I don't know if that helps, but maybe there's a little bit of vitamin D in there.
0: That might be it. Um, another possible explanation that doesn't apply to me, but might apply to normal people." um is um i've if you if you're a canadian and you go to a sunny place to a to a, on a vacation during the winter once or twice for anywhere from four days to a week vitamin d is fat soluble. you really absorb it through your skin if you're if you're on the beach with your shirt off um and you don't shower right away um and that's enough to last you through the winter and then in the summer where we fight on enough vitamin d here
1: no way that, that's that's yeah. a super fact right there. I love that you just mentioned yeah. that. I have No idea. The
0: reason I say it doesn't apply to me because I've been on. I, I I just went on my first vacation in seventeen years this past summer during my honeymoon.
1: You see, and that's why you've written seven books and I've written zero. I go every year somewhere <laughs> down south when it's warm. I'm going out. I'm going to Europe next week actually.
0: Congratulations, I was going too.
1: Uh, very cool. Very cool. Igor, this has been an absolute pleasure for me. Um, I wish we had three, four, five, six hours because I want to ask a question about every question I've already asked so far. So um off topic, uh, I'm gonna I want to do some work with you. I wanna I wanna get some stuff tested myself. But what are you currently doing right now that the listeners could, if they want to get a hold of you, well, where could they go? What could they find that, that they're up to these days?
0: Uh, the best resource is actually my email newsletter, um, and if somebody wants, they can actually get a free PDF copy of my book, Stop Exercising the Way You're Doing It Now. There's an entire chapter in there on supplements, testing, and so on. And if they get the book, they'll also get my newsletter. They can get it at www.stopexercisingbook.com.
1: And I'm going to put all that stuff in the show notes and I've been getting your newsletter ever since I saw you at the conference there and there's some really good information there. If you're, if you are an average person, and you're interested in health and stuff, there's some very simple um, um, emails that come out. And then if you work in fitness, like as a personal trainer, there's some also good ones there too, if you want to get a little bit more nerdy into it. So I've appreciated those for the last uh, about three weeks so far.
0: My pleasure.
1: Awesome. So thanks so much for coming on the project fitness podcast and
0: uh, have a phenomenal day. Thanks so much for having me, Chris
1: never stop learning because life never stops teaching if you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people please share this podcast with them and a reminder we will be releasing one episode every monday for the entire year so make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible today is the first day of the rest of your life and thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it (laughs) you <laughs>